Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. On today's episode, I wanted us to take a look at the subject of the occult. And the reason why I wanted to touch on this subject is this nation seems to be devolving into more uh, secular perspective and um, in their desire to not recognize God. It's important that we look at the scriptures for uh, our acts. We look at the scriptures for uh, our passions, that we look to the scriptures for our direction. So one of the things that we as believers need to be cognizant of is not just this world, but there is another realm. And uh, in, in that particular realm, we deal with this word called the occult. And so today we have someone uh, who has uh, studied the world of the occults, and we wanted him to help us explain some of the uh, terms that's associated with it, as well as to give us some insights. If we're not directly involved, sometimes it's difficult for us to understand what goes on in this kingdom of the occult. So my guest today is Professor Kevin uh, Lewis uh, of um, Biola University. He's the Associate Professor of Theology and Law at Biola. And Professor Lewis also teaches Christian apologetics as well as uh, systematic theology, constitutional law. And as I said previously, he does specialize in information about the occult. Uh, Professor Lewis, uh, thank you for being on Sound Reasoning. Very welcome, brother. Uh, My first question is, what is the difference between the word cult versus occult? Hey, brother, yeah, I'll, I'll keep it short here. The essential difference is that a cult is, in effect, a, a group of people that claim to be true Christians but deny essential Christian doctrine. So a theological cult of Christianity would be a group like Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, Christian Science, uh, any group that says they're true Christians but then would deny true Christianity. Technically, that's a cult of Christianity, theologically speaking, uh, the occult, the word itself, comes from a Latin word that means secret or hidden. And what it means, ultimately, are those practices that the pagans did, the magical practices of you know divination and spiritism and magic and sorcery and all these things that are practiced by the old polytheistic religions that had to go underground, so to speak, when the Christians took over any culture because they didn't, they didn't allow the practices. Hence... They were called the secret or hidden groups or practices. Thank you for clarifying that for us. So why should we as Christians, uh, we that are followers of Jesus Christ, why should we be concerned with the world of the occult? Well, there's, there's lots of biblical reasons for this, and you know, I do a whole semester class on this. But <laughs> no. the, the long and short of it is, is that what's clear is that it's demonic, it's a form of rebellion, and it's just flat-out forbidden by God. First Samuel 15.23, uh, the older translation, says rebellion is of the sin of witchcraft. And to go to a power or a source of knowledge other than God 
that is metaphysical, that is not physical. It's a form of rebellion. We're designed to live for God, to walk with God, not to get our information from demons. Mm. Uh, it's demonic. You know, so that's 1 Samuel 15:23. 1 Corinthians 10:20. Uh, I mean, the Bible's clear, and Paul quoting the Old, Temp- the Old Testament, he says, the things to which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. Mm. So the whole, the whole polytheistic, pagan, idolatrous practices in the Old Testament, which are always associated with polytheism, is that they're also associated in the same context of the Canaanites and the Philistines and the Babylonians and so forth, uh, is that they also have all the magical practices that go along with them that help them either contact the gods, defend themselves against the little G gods, and that includes, again, magic, divination, spiritism as the three basic things. So, but God says what energizes this, if there is anything supernatural, it's not God, it's not angels, and it's not the force, it's demons. And the last is simply forbidden. Again, but without spending too much time, texts like Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 13, right. to say, look, if you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, don't imitate these detestable things. And he cranks off a list of all these occult practices uh, that the pagans are doing. He says, anyone who does this is detestable to the Lord. Right. That's forbidden. You're not supposed to do it. So we should be very concerned that we don't actually practice the occult. So how do we not get caught up into the world of the occult? Um, I know we, we should read and study the Word of God. Uh, is there something else that you would recommend that uh, we not dabble in? Well, there's lots of things. Of course, the first thing, how not to do it, is part of the problem is people sometimes just do it out of ignorance. Right. And so, you know, our job as teachers in the Church and hopefully in a culture is to at least let people know, look, this is, these are the things of God, and these are the things forbidden by God. So at least if someone wants to go and, you know, grab a Ouija board or play Bloody Mary or join a Wiccan group or a Satanist group, they're doing it with eyes wide open. Right. So the first step is teaching. What does God actually say about this stuff? And then two, what are the, you know, how do you avoid this stuff? You really want to avoid it. So uh, I think the, the question, though, is, you know, how, what are some of the things going on maybe that people would innocently get involved in. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot of stuff, like, probably the number, I mean, I've been doing this stuff for about 25, 30 years, and most people I know end up with real demon problems. Only ha- about half of them always started out playing with a Ouija board that they got from a toy store, because they thought it was a fun parlor game. And it's not. A Ouija board is a, is a tool for divination. It's a form of the occult called dactylomancy, where anytime you see that word Mancy, M-A-N-C-Y in it, it means you're practicing divination. It mm. means you're being a seer. Like astrology is really astromancy. It's divination by the stars and so forth. Necromancy uh, is divination by talking to a dead guy. Mm. Okay? So, so that's why when you look at this stuff, some people think, hey, wouldn't that be fun? Let's see if this works. Well, it's not fun because uh, people think, you know, even if you're trying to contact a spirit, they forget that they're not contacting the dead. Uh, you know, the, the evil dead are in hell, and the righteous dead don't practice spiritism. So the only thing you're going to get in between claiming to be a human or something else is a demon, biblically speaking. So that's the problem, is people think they get into this stuff innocently, like kids, teenagers will go play the Bloody Mary game. They'll go look in a mirror mm-hmm. and try and contact the spirit. Or the Charlie Challenge now is pretty popular. And what is try that? And contact, 
The Charlie Challenge has been around for a few months now. It's a teenage game where they balance two pencils, and they ask basically a spirit or a demon named Charlie to give them answers to these things. It's a dare that kids are doing. And the, the, uh, the web is full of videos of people who supposedly have had their things move, and people are getting freaked out by it. But they think it's a game. Mm. But it's really it's, it's, it's the beginning stages of being in bondage. I appreciate that information. That's very helpful. So can you tell me how should then Christians, uh, as, as as the world of the occult is being glamorized now, uh, even when I drive in my neighborhood annually, I see some empty store being turned into a Halloween store. So yeah. how, do, how should we as Christians um, respond to this? Uh, bombardment or this propaganda of Halloween? Yeah, that, that, that's a good question, and that's one that's actually it's a pretty complex question because uh, if you look at the history of Halloween, it's actually very complex. But the first rule for anything, Romans 14, 23, which is, what's not of faith is sin. So if you're not sure, don't do it. That's number one. Uh, number two, if you actually look at the history of Halloween, uh, it's it just, it just varied because for example, you have a uh, you know seventh century popes declaring you know All Saints Day, uh, why to honor all the you know, all the people who are considered saints. And what they about two centuries before that they had All Martyrs Day, mm. and the idea was is they pick one day to honor people who had given their lives for Christ and so on and so forth. And and so the night before was actually known as All Hallows Eve, and but during that time in Europe. Uh, yes, you did have Celtic and Druid ceremonies, and a lot of the non-Christian cultures practiced harvest rituals and things like that, because, yes, there was a change of seasons that took place at the end of October, and, yeah, some of the Druids and the others, you know, practiced, uh, celebrated a, uh, a, a, there was a festival called Sawin, it's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, and it basically marked the calendar where you basically went from the land of the living or the gods of the living to the gods of the dead, when the veil between the uh, the living and the dead was most thin. And uh, the fact is, is that what Christians do to accommodate this or to overshadow it or to do something, that's part of, you know, different Christians interpret this differently. For example, why do we celebrate Christmas on December 25th? Yeah, that was Saturnalia, but it wasn't the, to paganize the holiday. It was actually to stamp out the, the holiday of Saturnalia, because when the pagans popped up and started celebrating on the 25th of December, they were overshadowed overwhelmingly by the Christians who were celebrating the birth of Christ. Right. So, so this is why, you know, choosing a date like November 1st or something like that, it's not actually to paganize Christianity Historically, if you read church history, it, it actually intends to do the opposite. It's to stamp out the pagan festivals because the Christians have took over that, have taken over that day. So every day is God's day. Right. So this is why people know what about October 31st? You know, some people don't do anything. Some people have harvest festivals. Some people have, you know, anti Halloween parties. But actually, two more things and then we can move on. Oh, you're fine. But the, but, but the key is that. Um, the fact is, in, in America, mostly Halloween is like New Year's Day or anything else. It's a secular holiday. Right. It's just time for people to get goofy. The real 
Wiccans, pagans, druids, you know, neo-pagans, neo-druids, whatever. Yeah, they still celebrate, you know, Sawween. But the the key is not to judge anyone's heart or anyone's intentions. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing with doing any evangelism. You know, ask people what they mean by what they say and do. Right. And we don't don't want people to groupthink us, so let's not groupthink everyone else. (laughs) I appreciate that. So there are some terms I wanted you to kind of unpackage for us. Uh, The the first one is paranormal. What, What is that? Yeah, paranormal, that just means beyond the normal, and things like that. The problem is with these things, there's no exact, you know, or universal definition that people in the field use. So paranormal, just by root meaning, it just means beyond the normal, which means beyond the physical or beyond whatever is common. So it can mean supernatural. It can mean something that's physically extraordinary. That's why the context is going to determine how someone's using the term paranormal. Great. And what is the difference between um, spiritism and spiritualism? Yeah, some people make a difference between those two terms, but um, realistically, a lot of people use them inter- interchangeably. When, pe- when some people use them in distinction with one another, spiritism is the practice of an individual trying to contact a spirit to get it to do its bidding for something, give information, uh, give some kind of power or go actually go do something for them, where spiritualism is really the description of a, of a phenomena that occurred really in the late 19th through the early 20th century, where people were doing, you know, table liftings and things like that, which included spiritism, but spiritualism is more a sort of a description of a movement, late 19th, early 20th century movement. So would the narrative dealing with uh, Saul and the Witch of Endor be uh, uh, spiritism? Yeah, for that, see, and that's a good question, because in my demonology occult class, you know, that, that's one issue we spent a little extra time on, because there are some interesting passages in the Bible where people do actually encounter spirits and, you know, the uh, spirits of the dead, but they're, they're relatively rare. And in this case, you just start with the stuff that's crystal clear. God forbids spiritism. End of story. It's a sin. You shouldn't practice it. And that's exactly what, you know, that's exactly what King Saul was doing in the passage. Number two, you start looking at other key passages of what we call the intermediate state in theology, the state of existence between death and resurrection. What is clear from texts like Luke 16, 1931, the rich man and Lazarus passage, is that the unrighteous dead are cut off by a huge gulf, and they cannot come back. When Abraham entreats, you know, when rich man entreats Abraham to send Lazarus to go back and warn his brothers, you know, I mean, why does he say that? Because the rich man says, there's a great gulf fix, and I can't pass from there, from here <laughs> right, to there. Right. So the, the evil dead can't come back. Now, the righteous dead, which is interesting, is that, see, Abraham doesn't say that's impossible. He says, no, they have Moses and the prophets. And then you see something like, okay, the uh, Matthew 17, the Transfiguration account, Peter, James, and John are on the mount with Jesus, and they see the spirits of Moses and Elijah. So when you look at that, you've got to balance all that. See, that's why I do systematic theology. Right. You put it all together. <laughs> you say, number one, don't practice spiritism. Uh, and if you're unsure, don't practice spiritism. Any questions? <laughs> Good. Okay. okay. Excellent. Number two, that God is in authority over the dead. 
The fact is, is that we're an authority under God here, we're authority under God there. If we're servants of God here, we're servants of God there, as well as children of God. Now, if God had a purpose to send Moses and Elijah to talk to Jesus and be seen by Peter, James, and John, that wasn't because Peter, James, and John conjured them. Had any authority. They don't have any authority to compel Peter, you know, to compel Moses and Elijah to appear before them. But if God sends, you know, Moses and Elijah and have a chat with Christ in his glorified state as the Logos, that's God's business. That's right. And so when you look at the uh, the passage with the Saul and the medium of Endor, you have to read the entire passage. I don't think there's any reason to believe it's anything but the spirit of Saul. But when you look at the entire passage, the medium is shocked because it's not her normal encounter. Right, right. She says, I see an Elohim, a, quote, a powerful spirit coming up from the earth. <laughs> and then what does the spirit say? It doesn't say, hey, I see rainbows and puppies and unicorns on the other side, everything's great, right, to Saul? Right. He says, no. He says, no, because you're doing this wicked thing, Saul, you're, tomorrow you're going to be dead and be where I'm at. Right, right. He said exactly what the prophet Samuel would say. So that means... If God has a purpose for sending the righteous dead to do anything, just like he'd send a righteous angel, that's his business. Right. And at the same time, we have to say, look, we have no business at all calling on any spirit except God. Mm. That's the one spirit we can call on. Mm. That's why, you know, when anybody claims phenomena like that, I'm always a skeptic, first, whether it's real, because I'm going to do a good history and background check and, you know, see if someone's just, you know, watched too many episodes of, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something. Right. But um, at the same time, you know, if it's real, that doesn't mean it's true. You can have a real supernatural encounter. That doesn't mean what the uh, the demon or whatever told you it was is actually the interpretation of the event. Hmm. That's, I... that's something, by the way, that we think about this, real versus true, while people will use those terms different. For example, someone can have a genuine dream, a vivid dream that they're flying. Right. Okay? It's real. It actually happens. You know, so, they, so it's literally like they were flying. That's the, and it's an event they experience. Mm-hmm. But is it true in the sense of the correspondence theory of truth that it actually corresponds with a mind-independent reality? No. Because they weren't actually flying. So if you get something that's both real and true, great. But it can be real but not true. That's what happens a lot in the world of the occult, because Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Is that he is able to give weird visions, dreams, project images, you know, make himself appear as an angel of light and lie to people. The people can have real experiences with the supernatural world, but the explanation of it doesn't, most of the time doesn't correspond with the way things really are before God. I, I, I really appreciate you making those points clear in terms of um, having a genuine experience and that that experience not necessarily being true. And and we that work in the church deal with that all the time. So I, I appreciate you talking about yeah. how Satan is the father of uh, uh, father of darkness and he's able to, and, and the father of lies, and he's able oh. to make it seem as though uh, our experience is the truth when it's not. That's right. That's why for us as Christian leaders and counselors, one is to keep our own people out of it, but two, when people finally want to be delivered from bondage, I mean, we have duties as Christian counselors and pastors and leaders to, to carry out truth and falsehood. Right. And we're going to have people coming into our offices telling us stories, and 
we got to know how to help them properly. So that's a plug for you and I to remind all of the, our listeners that we, we really should uh, engage in a method of apologetics and, and learn more about how to share and articulate our faith based on uh, sound reasoning. Uh, well, that's right. I mean, it really comes down to it. Either you believe the Bible represents reality as it is or you don't. And if you do, <laughs> then you believe that demons are real. And if you read about Satan and demons from Genesis 3 to Re- the end of the book of Revelation, we see Satan and demons messing with humankind. And so you can either ignore it and do what, you know, C.S. Lewis says. You know, you can either have an excessive and healthy interest in the demons, or you can, you know, we can ha- completely believe in their disexistence. Both of them are, are completely wrong approaches to the world of demonism. Well, Professor uh, Lewis, our time has just left us, and I really do appreciate you carving out this um this special date for us uh, to explain to us and give us insight on the world of the occult. So if, if it be the Lord's will, I would love to have you back and uh, uh, complete the rest of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, but we've just run out of time. That'd be great, brother. Looking forward to it. Thank you. I will be in touch. Okay. God bless you. God bless you. Uh, That's professor uh, Kevin Lewis of uh, Biola university and he is a professor that teaches Christian apologetics uh, as well as systematic theology. And he's also um, is into constitutional law as well as the world of the occult. And we thank him so much for making himself available. And I want to thank God for uh, being such a gracious God to open up the doors to have these professors and uh, theologians, authors, researchers come on Sound Reasoning, and share the wisdom that he has given them. So again, I am indebted to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for this opportunity. I'm edified when these uh, researchers and these theologians come and share their uh, wisdom with us based on the Bible. So if, uh, if you would, continue to pray for this show, continue to pray for me, as we endeavor to bring the truth that's often found in the ivory towers of seminary down to the steeple towers of the local church. So if you would keep us in prayer and as always, uh, we need your support. So if this show has been a blessing to you, please consider becoming a financial partner that we may continue to train Christians in sound doctrine. And remember first Peter three fifteen: be you always ready to give each man an answer a reason for the hope that lies within you and doing it with gentleness and respect. May God bless you and may you stand for the truth. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org.
found myself on a ledge, three stories high at some condominiums, contemplating my life and struggling to understand my purpose. Have you ever found yourself on the ledge? My name is Billy Yant. I'm a caring father, mentor, and friend. In my new podcast, Billy and the Goat, I share the life-changing events that shaped who I am today to remind you that no matter how far you've fallen, God can help you get up and thrive. Listen now at lifeaudio.com.